0: Welcome to this latest Swirl podcast. Part of our mission is raising awareness, creating opportunities through networking and signpostings that we can maximise the number of children that can access specialist swim sessions. Today we will be talking to Katie from Swim England. Katie is the head of their Learn to Swim team. go to and i was like oh hi katie great to have you here today can you firstly tell us for those who don't know a bit about swim england and your role within the company
1: yeah Hi, guys. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, My name is Katie Towner. I'm the head of Learn to Swim for Swim England. Swim England are the recognised national governing body in England for swimming. Um, We don't just look after swimming. it's also water polo, artistic swimming and synchronised swimming in there as well, or artistic swimming as we should now call it. Um, My role within Swim England is to specifically look after the Learn to Swim programme. So taking children from preschool all the way through to pre-competitive before we hand them over to that club environment. So we really look at water safety, we look at school swimming um, and obviously inclusion within swimming to ensure that every child has the opportunity to learn how to swim or be active for life.
0: So Katie not only are you head the Learn to Swim programme but you are still teaching swimming lessons on a regular basis. As a swim instructor and someone who's got a clear proven track record of teaching within the aquatic industry, what would you say is the importance of swimming for everyone?
1: Obviously, we've got the water safety element. That's probably the number one reason why a lot of parents and children are learning how to swim. But for me, swimming is so important because everyone is on an even kill the minute that they get into the pool. So non-swimmers, regardless of their background, their age, any disabilities, everybody starts at the same place. And it's such an inclusive sport. So, yes, the water safety element, but actually it's an activity that everybody can enjoy. And it opens up so many other opportunities as well in terms of um, not just in our aquatic but looking at things like canoeing, outdoor activities, playing on those big water parks in lakes, in the sea. Um, So I think for me, it's about that being active for life and swimming can form part of that across a number of different activities.
0: It definitely opens up a big world of other things that you can do once you can swim. And like you say, it is fully inclusive. There's so many things that people that might have a disability can do in the water that they just wouldn't be capable of on dry land, which does give them that even footing, so to speak.
1: Exactly, and it's it's really exciting to see as well, especially when you find um children or adults maybe that have got a new disability and they think that they can't do anything, and then actually the one thing that they remember how to do is swimming, and it becomes natural again. They just learn to adapt to, the, to to the disability or the need that they might have, and it's it's so great to see.
0: And then the the effect that that has then on someone's confidence when then they can see that they are equal to everyone else and that they can succeed is just amazing to watch, isn't it? Exactly. So Swimming and have an inclusion hub.
2: Can you tell our listeners what this is for and how it helps the community?
1: Yeah, of course. So our inclusion hub was created off the back end of a project called Inclusion 2020 that was run in clearance with the Youth Sport Trust and the Department for Education. And during that project we identified that we couldn't be the experts in absolutely every um need disability and we needed to signpost swimming teachers to find information from the experts so we created our inclusion hub which is a signposting tool to be able to find out more information to support swimming teachers and the industry in making their swimming lessons more inclusive Um, as i said we can't be the experts in everything um, so actually hearing from the professionals in each of those areas has been really beneficial for our, for our teachers and our educators, so our tutors as well, to be able to have more knowledge and understanding and confidence. I think that's what the Inclusion Hub does. It gives the teachers the confidence to be able to go and ask difficult questions to the experts to find out how that they can then accommodate some of their children and their adult participants within their swimming lessons.
2: That's what it's all about, isn't it? It's about knowledge and then just understanding that some some children don't fit the box and you have to think outside of the box a little bit to get through to that child or that adult um, to get the best out of them.
1: Yeah, and I think sometimes the teachers lack the confidence to ask the parents or the children, how can I help you learn to swim better? And I think if they're able to ask that question confidently and have a little bit of background knowledge of, of that that need or that disability that they may have, um, it just makes, makes that child's journey and that teacher's experience a lot easier and a lot more seamless because, Both have an understanding of one another, and then at that point, so it can just make those lessons a little bit more enjoyable.
0: I think something we found is that communication could be improved on both sides of the parent-teacher relationship because some parents they don't want to fully disclose everything about their child's medical condition for various reasons. Some of that might be that they don't want their child to be looked at any differently, which is fine, but it's understanding that the the more you disclose to the swim teacher the better they can support your child and likewise if the more questions you ask as a teacher because you know the parent is the expert in their child then the more success that you're going to have in teaching that child.
1: Yeah I've seen some horror stories of teachers going up to parents and saying could you tell me what's wrong with your child? no, know we just need to re- rewind on that and say actually how can I help your child to learn to swim you know what what do I need to know how can I make their experience the best that it can be so yeah it, it is an education piece and a confidence piece to make sure that those questions are asked in the right manner as well
2: yeah and understanding I suppose each how to approach each other and not and not offend someone so we've kind of touched on it a bit but the what do you think the importance of specialist and inclusive swimming programs are
1: for me we want to see that all mainstream lessons can be as inclusive as possible again as we as we touched on before everybody starts at the same point don't they regardless of any special educational need or disability however for for me around that water safety element and that attainment figures we know that school swimming attainment figures are low and especially in those children either from um A BAME background or or have any special educational needs or disabilities so actually making sure that all of our swimming programs are inclusive is only going to help those attainment figures I think those two groups are often forgotten or may only ever have access to swimming during school swimming time because they know that they can be accommodated for rather than looking at those kind of after school lessons or clubs or community group activities so um for me, it's just to ensure that those attainment figures and that awareness of swimming and letting them have the experience of swimming. As we said, all, all children should have the opportunity to learn how to swim, and adults, actually, in that respect.
2: Because the numbers, I mean, we've been finding some quite interesting crossovers, mm-hmm. haven't we, Steph, between mm-hmm. the numbers of children with autism or disabilities and the BAME. I think it's 90%... Of black children don't swim. Ninety-five percent of adults, um black adults can't or, or or don't swim. Then
0: you're 160 times more likely to to drown if you are neuro, neurodiverse than when compared to your neurotypical peers.
2: Statistics for it are really high and quite scary, um, and especially for me growing up in New Zealand you just all learned to swim it wasn't there wasn't anything that held anyone back it was just that was part of the curriculum that was what you did as a child whereas you know England and America they they are all behind um in terms of statistics and
0: it's quite scary finding more and more that there's of people that seem to be left out of the picture somehow.
1: Yeah and we need to do all we can to ensure that our marketing promotion and advertising of, of all of our swimming you know not just us as Swim England but any operator provider swimming teacher out there is actually really showcasing how inclusive swimming can be and working within their communities and working with their parents, the schools that are in the community, because the number of of people that would have access to a child with special educational needs or disabilities, if they all don't understand that swimming journey, so their their helper at school, if they've got one-to-one, if they're not aware of how important swimming is, you know, their parents, you know, their GPs, etc we we just need to make sure our message is out there to everybody that would have access to to any of these children to make sure it's on, on their agenda we know that physical activity is beneficial for, for all um let alone if you have a special educational need or disability at that point so the more people that are aware of how important swimming is that and how it can be achieved successfully i think the more inclusive we can be
2: i think also with Henry and his heart condition there's um parents that have a child with a medical condition I think sometimes you're almost scared and worried about putting them in the pool when actually a child that has a heart condition it's the best place for them to be Ian and I was speaking to um Glenfield about Henry and a specialist nurse down there and she's like no you must get him into swimming that that is going to be the best form of exercise for him because it's less stress and strain on his heart than running is for example um and he can be on an even playing field with all the other kids because he's not going to be that kid that gets a little bit puffed um and left behind you know because you you don't really get that in swimming um and we see huge benefits from Henry and sensory needs and, and everything. He has swimming on Wednesdays. And on a Thursday, him in class, he's just a different child. And when we were speaking to his one-to-one the other day, she said, I think it's got a lot to do with his swimming lessons on a on a Wednesday. Um, and I think, sadly, we are going to have to be that family that, that are swimming at six o'clock every morning because of the benefits we're starting to see for Henry and how it's kind of working for him.
0: Yeah, I think everyone is... Generally aware that swimming is a really good thing for your body. It's good physical exercise. You know, there's this undertone that it's good for your mental well-being somewhere along the line. And if you look back historically, you know, there's good evidence for that. I mean, the Romans built the baths, didn't they, for everybody? But there's less of an awareness of the sensory benefits of water, I think, in, in the here and now. Um, Katie, what do you think about the sensory benefits of water and how this can help them to learn?
1: You know, for me, as it's, again, my experience of teaching is mainly with children that are, are autistic at that point. Um, and the sensory benefits for me, as I see when we do one to ones, especially, it's that calming nature that it has. The pressure on the body seems to be quite calming for a lot of the children that I teach. And again, Equally so thinking about types of activities that they're doing and that social element as well. So if they are in a group lesson and they're able to, to be in that mainstream lesson, it's that social environment that you create through swimming, which I think is really beneficial. Um, Post-COVID, obviously going back to swimming lessons now, the first few lessons back that we experienced, I think because the environment was very different um, at that point we had to get back into another routine because there wasn't lots of of playing going on. There wasn't lots of equipment. It was a very sterile environment and quite echoey as well. So thinking about that pool hall environment with, Now, limited numbers, the sound just kind of bounced. We had to think about how we were going to deliver that message, especially around um, the noise levels that were going on. So, if you can get that nice, calming environment, I think that has the positives, especially if you've got some nice hydro pools. So, I don't know whether anybody is working in, in hydrotherapy pools. And again, lights, bringing lights and, and sound into that environment. I think swimming pools are very versatile for that, that if you have got a private pool, you can start thinking of other sensory needs to be able to bring into into that environment, which is great. We've seen it done really well in a couple of some special schools. Willow Dean is one of them where they have uh, a pool specifically for their children. They can change the lighting, they can change the temperature, they can change the activities. They even have music that they can play on the pool site. So I think from a sensory point of view, it's not just the water, it's everything else that's around it as well. Now, you
0: just mentioned briefly then the changes that have been brought in due to COVID. Could you explain for our wider audience, um, just all the parents out there that are worried about the return to swimming, what sort of changes have been brought about and what parents can now expect in general when they turn up for a school lesson sure
1: as i we say we're going to say in general because it is going to vary from pool to pool that you go to but in general you would turn up beach ready so your children or yourself would turn up beach ready and what we mean by beach ready is not with your lie low and your in your picnic but it is with your swimming costume on underneath your clothes and you normally head straight to the pool side where you would take those clothes off and then get into your swimming session whether that's a lesson or a lane swim so that would be slightly different a lot of pools out there have started to do video walkthroughs as well. So again, if you've got any children with um, special educational needs, you can play the video to them so they know what they're going to expect when they turn up in advance, which has proven really great. Then when they get to the poolside, you often find that um, the teacher is now on the poolside. So previously where the teacher may have been in the water or you've had an assistant teacher in the water, now the recommendation is the teacher is on the poolside. So if additional support is required, it may be the case that the parent is asked to get in to provide that support. Or you might find that the child now has additional flotation equipment, such as um, sharp fins or belts or, or additional armbands, um, especially if non or weaker swimmers are out of their depth. But nothing to worry about. All pools are fully risk assessed. Um, all of their activities also if you are worried please just talk to your swimming teacher and your pool provider they should be able to give you some support or if you're still unsure see if you can book a session to go and see the lessons rather than taking part straight away maybe have a look your first lesson back especially if your child is a little anxious or nervous of the changes that have taken place maybe spend the first lesson just Finding out and orientating yourselves around the pool area and what, what has changed. And obviously the other thing is if you probably stand still too long in a swimming pool now, you will get sanitised along with everything else. <laughs> the changing rooms, the floors, the lockers, the cubicles, the toilets. So, um, yeah, I think it isn't what I find not sad or upsetting it is kind of where we're at. Swimming for me and my family was a family activity that we did with other families on on a Sunday after I finished my swimming lessons. We would go as a family. We would have lunch at the pool and we would continue kind of our experience. And and now it is more get in and get out and and off you go. So there isn't that kind of hanging around anymore. It's go in,
0: do your session and, and out you go. Something that we often do is our families, isn't it, Rachel? A nice day out for us is we all head to the pool. And then we all get lunch somewhere and then we all come back and the kids will collapse or just play very quietly because they're tired from the swim. And we'll all sit around and have coffee and chat. It's a nice way to have a day. (laughs) Pre-COVID PC. (laughs)
2: Oh, dear. Um, So a lot of parents, including myself, worry about introducing their child into new environments, pool environments, school environments and the rest of it. What would you say to parents that are feeling apprehensive about getting their child into swimming lessons?
1: I would say do your research. Obviously there are a lot of swimming lesson providers out there. You'll find a number of them within your area as well. We have a tool on um, swimming.org website called Pool Finder. So you just type in your postcode and you can find the pools within your area. But don't just pick the one that's closest to you. You need to find one that that is a fit for you and your family. And making sure that for me, I think there's a few things that I want my child up to lessons. Has a full induction been done? So have they asked you the right questions about your family, yourself, your child, to ensure that the lessons are right? Have you been given the opportunity to have an assessment uh, or your child have an assessment to see which stage they're suitable to go into? Also, again, if you are worried or your child has any additional needs that you would like to discuss with the teacher or the swims coordinator, have they given you the opportunity to do that in advance of your lessons rather than trying to do it on the pool side at four o'clock when your lesson starts at four o'clock? So I would suggest do your research find the best fit for you, ask as many questions as you want. Nothing is a a silly question. And again, swimming.org has got plenty of information on um, what parents should expect from a good swimming lesson. So we have a whole parent hub on there. So do your research, have a look around before you decide which swimming lesson you're going to go with.
0: Okay, that brings me on to, it's probably in your hub, but hopefully you can clarify this how can parents find specialist swimming help in the UK? And then are there some additional questions that they should be asking when trying to find specialists in inclusive swim programme?
1: Yes, yeah, so again, through the pool finder, you can see there is a, a, is a box to say whether their facilities are accessible, but it doesn't say specifically about their sessions. So because Swimming Swimmingland don't own or operate any of the pool facilities, they do vary across the country. So again, I think it is about doing um, your research to find out. We have um, cerebral palsy uh, UK and do swimming as well. So there's a swimming section of theirs. And again, that's on the inclusion hub. The amount of information that you find on the inclusion hub will tell you where they are currently swimming out of, um, but you might not find that they're within your area. Again, I would just say swimming is an inclusive sport. You shouldn't have to just turn up to a specialist session. They should be able to try and accommodate you where possible facilities alone obviously some of the older facilities might not have accessible changing rooms may not have the pool hoist and things to get into the pool but generally if you if you give them a call ask um to speak to the swim school coordinator or even a duty manager they'll be able to tell you which sessions are suitable for yourself or your child we work with a number of people on GP referral. It's called an Aquatic Activity for Health Model. So we've trained up a number of those that have got a GP referral of how to do different aquatic activities in the water, specifically for people with heart conditions or cerebral palsy or or maybe just a long-term health condition that they've They've now got diabetes, etc. So there are plenty of opportunities out there. Use the Inclusion Hub and ask the questions of your facilities. If they don't know, they might have somebody on site that does know. They often have a GP referral person that normally sits within the gym. So if you go into the gym, maybe ask there what could be suitable for you to do in the pool. Often when you've got local authority sites, the gym and the pool either come together or, or run or operated by the same Facilities.
0: So Katie, for parents out there who don't know, you've just mentioned that there's this GP referral that some people are are given by their GP or could potentially access. Does this provide funding for them to go to a semester?
1: No, it doesn't provide funding. You would need to speak to your local authorities to see whether there was any funding specifically available or groups that you might enter, but no, there isn't
0: funding. Okay, thanks for that. It's just um if you if you're if you're someone who's already paying out for different kinds of therapies or things especially if it's for your child to help them out it's not cheap no. and then the cost of swimming lesson on top of that can be a barrier for some people so we want as many people to have access as possible
1: and that's why i think it's important that when they're apply you're applying for swimming lessons when you start talking about um any needs that the child may have you might get asked to go into a one-to-one session to start off with and one-to-one sessions are often more expensive than those group sessions and not always are they the right thing for the child it just means that you know it's easier isn't it on a one-to-one you can just deal with that child but actually just with a little bit of clever thinking and planning your lesson accordingly the majority of children Could go into a mainstream lesson without any problems at all, and and that comes back to that initial assessment as well to ensure that they're going into the lesson that is right for them and for for their parent as well. It's also
2: nicer, isn't it? They're not, they don't feel excluded, and quite often, you know, if a child's sitting there fidgeting, most children don't really bat an eyelid. Children don't seem to. It's more parents that have the issue with it, kind of thinking outside of the box. I know with Henry, we used to put like all sorts of crosses and things from sit on treasure or sit on a float or hold a pirate or think of things that he could do that kind of focused him a little bit to join in.
1: And I think, you know, the way that we talk about treating special education on um, any children with special educational needs or disabilities is actually how we should be treating all of our children within that class. They are all individuals at the end of the day, and they all do need something different. Um, thinking that they're all going to be able to pick a noodle up and kick to the other side isn't teaching, you know, that you're just expecting everyone to be able to do the same thing. So getting to know the children, getting to know their needs, getting to know their ability, irrespective of any additional needs that they may come with is is best practice as well.
0: So the more you teach, the more experience you get and the more you can tailor that group lesson to every single individual in that class. Yeah. And find something yeah. that works with their interests and their needs.
1: Exactly. And again, you know, some of some of the diagnosis out there and there's new ones all the time and these parents come on saying say, My child's got oh, sorry. <laughs> what does that mean? You know, tell me. And you know, if if there are any parents listening, it it just you know come with the practical solutions what works at home what works at school what you know how are we going to translate that into the pool you know do they need a cross to sit on or are there any words that you know buzzwords that they really like or is they have a sticker chart could we bring a sticker chart along you know there's there's so many things that translate from school at home that can be brought to the pool but just open up that communication the one
2: thing that I was quite amazed at the other week is Henry's got a new swim teacher um and he just said Henry, can you walk the plank? Well, the kid wouldn't jump in a pool before, but the fact that Tony had just said, Henry, will you walk the plank? He was like, ah, and then he went. And I just sat there gobsmacked like, oh, all it took, all it took was walk the plank. Um, Why didn't I think of that?
1: Yeah, and also I think don't be frightened when it doesn't work. Again, as a parent or as a teacher, there will be good and bad lessons. It's, it's human nature. You will do something one week and it went terribly wrong, but don't let that knock your confidence to come back. Go away, review what happened, think what you can do differently and then come back the next week stronger and, and have another go. And again, that goes with parents. I think parents can get quite upset when it's perceived their child isn't progressing or is having a bad day or um, isn't keeping up with the other children. But that's OK. They will get there. You know, we know that they will.
0: And it's really important for all parents to look at actually what their child can do, because maybe they're not swimming as fast or they don't have the same technique as the other children in the class. But maybe that day they put their whole face in for the first time. And that that should be the focus. That should be, you know, you should celebrate that win rather than oh. They're not quite keeping up with the others, which can, it can be hard to do. It takes a lot of practice, I think. Uh, and you, you learn to capitalise on those small wins, then it feels better for everyone.
1: Yeah. And, you know, the kids will love that. We always say that regular reward and recognition of smaller achievements is is the best way to keep them engaged. You know, that's great. You've blown some bubbles or you did three lots of bubbles today as opposed to two. Now they might not get a badge and certificate that day or move up to the next class that day. But you're right. Those smaller achievements just mean the world. And and to recognise what they've done is only going to make them want to come back and do a little bit more the next week.
0: And one thing I absolutely love about swimming lessons are the group sizes are just right back that individuals are getting. And you're almost modelling a new way to behave and you see them learn to encourage the other children in the class and celebrate those wins with them, yeah, Yeah. which is a great tool to take forward in life wherever they go.
1: Yeah, and, you know, we said about the social element and actually for for children to be more accepting of other children that may be different to them. And again, in the pool, they aren't then at that point. You know, they are all on the same thing and they almost look, I've got a a little boy who loves being a shark in the pool. Um, we know shark tails go the other way, obviously, but you know, it was post dolphin tails to do the undulation, but he is a shark and his undulation, um, to be able to do butterfly is incredible. And all the kids in the class call him shark boy. And he loves that because <laughs> he's special. He is shark boy. And the one thing he's really good at that he's a, he's my demonstrator for, for undulation. You know, he's great at doing it and, and to see that and when he comes up, because he knows that butterfly week, you know, that's his week. That's where his time to shine is. And Yeah. You know, He would love to do it every week And so would I But we do have the other strokes <laughs> What a favourite, haven't
0: we? Favourite stroke
1: Yes
2: Yeah, I don't like freestyle I don't I don't know if you call it freestyle In the UK, do you?
1: Front crawl Front t- crawl,
2: yeah I don't like that I don't like putting my face in <laughs>
1: oh, you know, needs to teach. We're going to have to teach Front, front crawl, aren't we? Or freestyle
0: <laughs> Yeah, I think so And you, you know, Rachel Unless we're doing backstrokes you've got to put your face in for everything
2: really well you don't have to with breaststroke do you you
0: you've got to blow those bubbles
2: (laughs) thank you for coming on um and chatting with us we really really appreciate it
0: we do love to to chat to people who are just as passionate as we are about swimming and getting everyone involved yeah and we
1: will one swimmer at a time i always say one swimmer one teacher a week and we'll crack the world (laughs)
0: Definitely. Before before we um, leave off when I press the big magic red stop button on the record, is there anything that you'd really love to get out there to all of our listeners, Katie?
1: Um, Just get swimming. Don't be frightened because of of COVID and the restrictions that are on. Go and check out and support your local pool. We need them in our community. So please, please, please go and support your local pool and, and they are doing a great job.
2: Part of our mission at Swirl Global is to build a community where we can signpost and inform. We also sell sensory appropriate swimming aids. Check out our website at www.swirlglobal.com.